Welcome to Trek Online Bible School podcast. This is Brad Hunt, your teacher and host, and I'm excited to bring you the fifth episode of our brand new podcast that I'm very excited about starting, and I look forward to uh, the continued teaching ministry that God has opened up for me, and uh, I'm going through the book of Romans, and very excited to do that because the Lord has blessed me with a lot of insight, and I can't wait to share what the Lord is showing me with you. So we're going to go through uh, chapter 5 today, and uh, let's start with prayer. Father, we are thankful for your spirit, for your word. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts, that by us hearing your word, we would be set free. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins and to set us free from the power of it, to give us a right relationship with you and to restore um, our closeness that we had in the garden. And so I pray that today's episode would be liberating and a blessing to my friends who listen. And we thank you for this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we've come to the end of uh, Romans chapter 4, which uh, Paul uh, worked very hard to teach us that uh, we are justified or declared innocent by God And basically, our relationship is completely restored with him uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ because he died for us. And uh, when we accept that by faith, we are saved and we become his children. And we are now at peace with God. And we have tremendous privileges that God has wanted to lavish on us, uh, but he couldn't before because we were separated from him. Now, through Jesus Christ, We are brought close again to the Lord. Uh, In fact, we can enter into the Holy of Holies in Christ Jesus uh, because we are covered with his righteousness, not ours, but his. So let's begin chapter 5 of the book of Romans, and uh, you'll see the powerful truth that uh, will set you free from the lies of Satan Your own self-talk, which if you're anything like me, you tend to cut yourself down because of all your faults and your failings and your sins, and and you wonder how could you possibly be a son or daughter of God uh, able to come into his holy presence given the fact that you're so imperfect. That is the beauty of the gift of God through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of it, is that we receive God's favor and life and eternal life because 
His son died in our place, and we believe him. We are now his children. So let's start with uh, chapter 5, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It uh, makes some of these difficult um, theological concepts a little easier to grasp. So Paul says, therefore, which is a conclusion, by the way, he came through chapter 4 making the case for righteousness through faith. And most religious people, and I talked about this in our last podcast, most religious people are working for God's favor. Even we Christians who are born of the Spirit, our natural tendency is to work for God's favor. And the Bible teaches us that we cannot do enough good works to earn God's favor. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't take our righteous acts into account. In fact, I've been studying through Ezekiel, and God made Ezekiel a watchman for his own people, you know, for the rebellious Israelites at the time. And uh, the Lord said, when a, a wicked man is in his sin and I tell you to warn him, if you don't warn him, I'll require his life at your hands. That's what he told Ezekiel. But then he also said, if a righteous man ceases doing his righteousness and begins to practice wickedness, and if you don't warn him, he will die in his sin. And the Lord said, his righteous acts will not be remembered. So, there's a real powerful truth there that uh, that's good for us to understand, and that is that God does take note of people's righteous behavior. Now, can that get me to heaven if I haven't received Jesus? No, it can't. But God does take into account the fact that people have tried to live righteously. Uh, however, you know, we we just simply can't uh, receive eternal life and go to heaven through um, our good deeds. You know, that's why we must come to God through Jesus Christ. And you'll find that all through the Gospels and also powerfully taught here in the letter to the Romans. But let's continue. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, a lot of people want to look at God as purely love, and his love is so perfect that he would never show anything but love to his creation. And while it is wonderful to know God as love. And the Bible says that, that God is love. And, and whoever does not love does not know God. So that's very clearly taught in the Bible, but just as clearly is taught God's justice and his righteousness. And he cannot, he cannot take those out of his nature. He is completely love, but he is also perfectly just. And so he cannot ignore 
the right thing to do. And he declared in the Bible that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So when you go through Romans, you go through other theological letters in the New Testament, you will find out that if we are not in Christ, if we haven't received Jesus as our Savior and have been born again by the Spirit, then we are God's enemies. And it's not so much that he made us his enemies, it's that we simply are by nature his enemies. And therefore there's, there's animosity between mankind and God because of our sinful nature. Our sinful nature does not want to submit to God. Our sinful nature does not want to obey God. Our sinful nature rebels against God. Our sinful nature hates God. And you might say, well, you know, that explains a few things because I'm amazed at some of the thoughts that come into my mind, even though I've accepted Christ and have walked with him for years. Frankly, I've seen the same thing. And it horrifies me sometimes, the thoughts that pop up in my mind when I am studying God's word, when I am seeking him, when I'm trying to follow him. Sometimes some hateful things pop up in my heart and mind, and I say, Lord, forgive me. And, and I have to face the fact that there is a sinful nature inside of me, which I have power over, by the way, in Christ, we have been given power over our sinful nature, which is called flesh. We're given power over it so that it does not win the battle if we resist it. Now, you know, we can go through uh, the typical scenario that uh, most people have to face, and that is even though we love Jesus and are full of the Holy Spirit and are following him with a sincere heart, we are going to sin. That's just part of it. And Paul talks about that at uh, the end of Romans chapter 7. He talks about feeling wretched because he wants to do what God tells him to do, but he finds himself doing the exact opposite, and it's because of this sinful nature that we battle with. Now, thank God that through the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us, we can put those misdeeds to death. So we can say no. We have all the power we need to say no to it, to resist it, to, uh, and the more we resist it and the more we put it to death, the less it becomes a, a, a big temptation in our life. However, if we uh, give in to it and keep giving in to it, then it will become strong in our life. So it's a, it's, it, you know, this is what, the Bible means in the letter to the Hebrews by saying that we're perfect forever in God's sight. That's what Jesus did for us. He made us perfect forever in God's sight because we stand in him. However, the Bible says, while we are being made holy. So the end of that verse is that we're perfect forever in God's sight because of Jesus' righteousness upon us but we are being made holy on a daily basis by the Holy Spirit leading us to do what is right. So if we follow the Holy Spirit, we're going to put those misdeeds to death. 
if we ignore the Holy Spirit, we might give in to them, and, uh, and, and sometimes we do. We fail. But anyway, the point I'm making, of course, goes along with verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. It's that now that we have been justified by faith, God has declared us innocent. We have peace with him because of what Jesus did for us. So I want to encourage you to live in peace to recognize that God is at peace with you. There is no axe to grind with you. God has forgiven you of all your sin, past, present, and future sin. He has forgiven you. The next chapter will tell us that it doesn't mean that we now have the freedom to run off and sin as much as we want so that God's grace grows more and more. I mean, that's absurd. Um, And that's what, sadly, that's what some people have given themselves over to, thinking that because of their justified state with God, that they're free to sin. And uh, that's just not the way a person who wants to serve the Lord looks at it. Uh, We have to see that God paid a terrible price so that we could be right with him. And now for us to... Uh, be lackadaisical and and uh, lazy in our morality, um, that's an insult to the Lord. No, we, we have the freedom to live for God, and when we fail, when we sin, we've been given the privilege of coming to Him and confessing our sin, and He is faithful to uh, forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, the first principle that I want to just plant in your heart and mind is that if you have been born again by the Spirit, you have peace with God. You say, but, but Brad, I, you know, I, I, I've sinned lately and, and I've stumbled, I've made mistakes. That's right. That happens to us. And the Bible says that where sin abounds, Grace abounds all the more. So God's grace is more than sufficient to protect you even when you fail. So go to the Lord, confess your sin. He'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You say, Brad, it it was a biggie. It, It was a biggie and I failed big time. You go to God. You confess it to him. He will forgive you, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, that may not, that doesn't necessarily take away the consequence of our sin. There, you may need to apologize. You may need to confess to your spouse. You may need, frankly, the worst case scenario, you know, some people may have to spend time in prison. You, you, you know, all of these things are a, a normal outcome of sin is sometimes uh, the consequences are commensurate to the, the sin. If, if it's a big sin, yeah, we may have to uh, pay some pretty hefty consequences, but that is not how God deals with it. God forgives us 
and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if you've got to spend time in jail, uh, know that God has forgiven you. You simply have to pay your debt to society. If you failed uh, your marriage and, uh, and God will forgive you, but then you have to try and repair the damage you did to your marriage and you may lose your spouse. So there are consequences to our sin, but God can forgive us and dearly wants to forgive us because of Christ and frankly, that's his heart. He wants to save the world. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels that God did not send him into the world to condemn it. He sent him into the world to save it. So God's desire is to save the entire world. The Bible says it's not God's will that anyone should perish. And sadly, though, many will. And the only reason they'll perish is because they refuse to receive the gift of God. They want to do it themselves. They don't want to have any kind of accountability to God. They don't want to admit that he lives. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me how some people in our society, in the name of enlightenment and forward thinking, become fools and uh, discount the reality of the creator of this universe and everything that we see and don't see. But they become fools because of their sin and their stubbornness. And, uh, and my prayer is that someone hears this and there's just enough uh, common sense in their heart that they would open it and, and the Lord would enable them to change their mind and to uh, surrender to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because the consequence of rejecting Jesus is worse than any consequence we can pay here on earth. And that consequence is an eternity apart from God and an eternity in a lake of fire. And uh, I've heard testimonies of people that God has uh, given the opportunity to witness it so they can bring testimony back to the living and tell them, because a lot of people don't believe in hell anymore. A lot of people don't believe in the devil anymore. A lot of people, uh, you know, and, and not believing doesn't change the fact that it's real. Uh, you can you can stick your head in the sand and say you know that stove isn't so hot that it that it'll burn my hand if I touch it when it's on full bore, uh, and it's not going to change the fact that if you touch that stove you're going to get burned, uh, even though you say it's not going to burn me because it's it's you you can't you can't deny what is real, and so there is a hell. There is a devil. There are consequences that will affect you for eternity if you do not receive the gift of God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And I plead with you, I plead with you to open your heart, open your mind, ask God if he is real. Ask him to prove himself to you. I believe he will. 
and uh, and you can be saved from an eternity in hell, separated from God, and living in constant torment. And um, and it's it's it was hell was made initially for the devil and his angels. It was never made for man. But uh, if man is going to live like the devil and turn his will over to the devil, then he's going to end up in the place where the devil and his minions go. So I pray that God would get your heart. We need to move on here, but I want you to understand that God has provided the way for you to find peace with him, and that peace is eternal. You are not his enemy any longer when you accept Jesus Christ. And you say, but my life is still full of of struggles and and failings and sins. Uh, That's why God has given you the privilege of stepping into a state of grace. You'll find that here in the next uh, phrase. Let me continue on in verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We are granted the privilege of being established in God's grace. And that grace is, I can't deserve it, you can't deserve it, we can't earn it. It is simply because of God's love for the world that he has provided grace so that all who accept his gift and come to him through Jesus, they are given access to this condition of peace with him and eternal grace that they stand in. And uh, they are, they're accepted by God. They are his children. We are we are his on our way to uh, live with him forever, and we are going to share in his glory, which is very ironic because you can find throughout the Old Testament that God will not share his glory with another. He said that to his people, and he warned them against idolatry and worshiping uh, someone other than him. And, and he says, I'm a jealous God, and I don't share my glory with another. Then you come to the New Testament, and you find God sharing his glory with his son, Jesus Christ. And you will also find that Jesus then turns around and gives that glory that God gave him, he gives it to us. God is sharing his glory with his son, Jesus, and his adopted sons and daughters, which is us. We will share in his glory. And in fact, Jesus gave a parable about the end of the age when um, the evil people who rejected Christ will be gathered together and they will suffer eternal torment. But those who receive Jesus, uh, the Bible says, will shine like the sun, S-U-N, in their Father's kingdom. The glory of God 
will not only be the honor and dignity of God upon us, but it will also be a radiant, brilliant light shining from us. And we will, uh, you know, the entire kingdom of God, God's people will shine with this glorious light because we're his children. He has adopted us and given us the privileges of his son, Jesus. Folks, it is amazing what God has done for us. That's why John can say in his, uh, I think it's his first letter, he says, behold, what manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. We are God's children. And Peter then says that we're a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Folks, we have been given such privilege by God because we put faith in Jesus Christ that most Christians don't understand or appreciate it, myself included. It is just so seldom that I really get it how um, much glory God has lavished on me and that I would be called his son. Um, you remember when the disciples came back uh, from Jesus sending them out on a um, missionary journey, if you will? Seventy of them went out, and they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And and there's a, a story in Acts where the seven sons of Sceva went to try and cast a demon out of a man, and the demon turned, the demon in this man turned and looked at um, these seven sons of a, a priest named Sceva, and they were trying to invoke the name of Jesus, but they had no right to invoke the name of Jesus. They didn't belong to him. And, and, they, and they said, we, you know, we, te- we command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, Paul the apostle, uh, to come out of this man. And, and the demon looked at him and said, hey, I know Jesus, and I know about Paul, but I don't know you. And then he thrashed them and sent them out of that house, frankly, naked and uh, beat up. But the thing I want to point out is this demon recognized the dignity of God upon Paul to the point that he knew that if he faced Paul, he would be overcome because God has given us dignity, royal authority in the spiritual realm, and we have authority, just like Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. See, we go in the authority of Jesus Christ and We will tread on snakes and scorpions, Jesus said. That's found in Luke. And uh, those snakes and scorpions in the scripture uh, refer to demons, that we have authority over sickness. We have authority over demons. We have authority to command miracles in Jesus' name. Um, You know, uh, the scripture says at the end of Mark that we'll take up uh, poisonous serpents and they won't hurt us. And this is, I think this refers to the time that Paul was uh, picking up a bundle of sticks on the island. I think it was the island of Crete. And there was a venomous serpent in the bundle of sticks. And, and when he was going to throw the sticks on the fire, the fire drove the snake out and it latched onto Paul's hand. 
And all of the natives knew that was a poisonous snake, and so they expected him to die. And he just shook the snake off and continued on living, and they thought he was a god. Well, in a way, he is God's. He belongs to God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, see, we're in the kingdom of God. We are royal priests. We are children of God. We stand in a privileged position before God. We look forward to sharing God's glory. That's what happened when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We have a close relationship with God, and we can enjoy that relationship with him. Moving on, verse 3, we can rejoice also when we run into problems and trials. You see, this privileged position uh, doesn't just bring us good. This privileged position takes us through the bad. When we run into problems and trials, we are confident that God is working all things together for our good. And these problems and trials God will use to develop patience and endurance in us. And Paul says, endurance develops strength of character, which means it builds up our righteousness uh, because we're able to stand steady in the midst of uh, the temptation to run and, 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 and be afraid. Uh, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You see, uh, living for God is a constant upward journey. We become better by walking in faith. And we become so confident of our salvation that it's, you know, even though the Bible says that we are promised such and such, other people would say, well, how do you know you haven't seen it? And you say, well, because God said it. And God doesn't break his promises. And so since God said I'm going to be saved, I'm saved. And, and that just does a lot for a person's life, too, because they, they can walk in peace knowing that God is their father, knowing that their sins are forgiven, knowing that they have authority and dignity in his kingdom, knowing that, that God is, is proud to call us his children. And, and in verse 5, Paul says, this hope that gets developed through difficult times will not lead to disappointment. Folks, I've, I've, uh, I'm married to a, a woman who uh, has high expectations. And there are so many times that I've had to hold her and comfort her because her, her high expectations were dashed by someone misbehaving. And she gets brokenhearted when, because she's disappointed. She, she has these high hopes of, of a family coming together and, and us spending a wonderful time together and being joyous celebration, and then someone uh, misbehaves or someone makes a decision that is based on selfishness. Or, and I've failed way too many times. And, and she struggles with disappointment, and it breaks her heart. And, of course, since she's my wife, it breaks my heart as well. 
But the reason I brought this up is because putting hope in Jesus, the absolute highest hope we can think of, putting hope in Jesus and the Lord God will never lead to disappointment. His promises are certain. We are going to experience his glory. In fact, Paul ends that verse by saying, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And his Holy Spirit will help us uh, live this life as God's child with joy and peace and he will help us grow through challenges. Paul goes on to teach us how Christ came to us to save us. He starts off by saying, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. That's something you need to keep in your heart. Just like in the previous uh, chapter, we talked about God who justifies the ungodly. It goes against common sense to think that the perfect and holy God would declare a sinner, an ungodly person, innocent. It goes against our common sense to believe that our God would, uh, you know, declare us righteous when we were utterly helpless, his enemies, and filled with sin. But that's exactly what he was able to do because sin was dealt with at the cross when Jesus hung there, taking the punishment that we deserved. He saved us. We were utterly helpless and Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Paul says, look, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, and that's true. I would never die for someone just because they were upright. Paul goes on to say, well, you know, if someone was really good, someone might dare to die for him, and that's true. If you met someone from a, uh, a country and, and their work was so pure and so effective and so good for that nation, you might possibly take their place and die so they could continue their good work, but probably not. Then he tells us what God did for us. He said, but God showed his great love by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. While we were still his enemies, he sent Christ to die for us. And then verse 9, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's wrath. I inserted that word there. The New Living Translation says condemnation, but uh, other translations say God's wrath. And I think it's important for you to get this, that Jesus not only saved us from the, the, I guess, the consequence of sin. And the Bible says uh, the wages of sin is death. The Bible also says the soul that sins, it shall die. So there's only one outcome for the person who practices sin. 
the one who stumbles and sins occasionally, the one who practices it hardcore, everyone who sins has earned the wage of sin, and that's death. And we, frankly, deserve to die, but God didn't want us to die, so he sent Jesus to be a perfect human being and never sin, and then he took our place and accepted the punishment for all of our sin when he hung on that cross. And not only did Jesus save us from the consequence of our sin, he is also saving us from God's just wrath, which comes against sin. And, and God, to be a perfectly just God, has to punish sin. Well, he did that through Jesus, but his wrath is still going to come upon sinners, and we're saved from that. And, and there, there are a lot of people who are expecting that in these last days, uh, they may go through uh, the tribulation, you know, for lack of a better term. They think they're going to go through the great tribulation. Um, and some of them are called mid-tribulation, uh, you know, theological believers. Others are called uh, amillennial, which would be no tribulation that, you know, God's people are just going to go through uh, the terrible tribulation that God talks about is coming on the world. And, and others, uh, you know, some people just believe that we deserve to go through the wrath of God. But if that's the case, why does God's word say that Jesus' life will rescue us from the wrath of God? Why does the letter to the Thessalonians tell us that we were not appointed to suffer wrath? Why does God's word teach us that God's people are going to be spared from the wrath of God. So, frankly, that's why I'm a firm believer that the, the church of Jesus Christ, those who are born again, those who have the, the Spirit of God in them, uh, they're going to be raptured before the wrath of God is poured out on this earth. And I think it's biblically sound, and frankly, it gives me tremendous hope. So anyway... God's life, or Christ's life, not only saves us from our sin, but he saves us from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are now God's friends. You say, well, I mean, I never thought of myself as his friend. Um, but that's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, uh, you are my friends and Jesus is God. Jesus is equal with God. He is the son, of course, but uh, he called his disciples his friends. Uh, God had was a friend of Moses. He spoke with him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. God was a friend of Abraham, and uh, we are expressing the faith of Abraham. So 
uh, we are God's friends through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he restored our relationship with him through Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You need to understand, friend, that God wanted his relationship close with his creation. And those that don't want to get close to God, sadly, they will get their wish, not because God wants them to perish, but because they don't want him. And that is, it just breaks my heart to think that way. That's why Paul said, if it were possible, he said, I, I could wish that I were accursed for my people. Um, because he sees that the Jews are zealous for God. It's just they don't have the truth. And, and they, they don't understand. And, and they've been blinded by God because they rejected Jesus when he came the first time. There is going to be a, a change in Israel. And, and at the very end, the nation will acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. And he'll come and save that remnant. But I, I just, it's sad when people refuse the gift of God. Let's move on in verse 12, because here is where Paul talks about something very interesting that you may not understand. And that is that Adam is the reason that all of us are considered sinners. Now, we are accountable for our own sin, but frankly, Adam brought it upon us. Uh, Paul says in verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Okay? Adam's sin brought death. And that's what God told him. God said, the day that you eat uh, the fruit of this tree that I told you not to eat of, he said, you will surely die. And uh, you might say, well, he didn't drop dead immediately. No, but he lost the spirit of God. Uh, so that he was separated from God and had no connection with God. And 900 some years later, he died. And you say, well, that hardly sounds like, you know, he, he was, you know, punished for his sin. Well, you see, the, the other side of that coin is that if Adam had not sinned, he would have lived forever. He would have uh, taken uh, from the tree of life that God prevented him from taking after he sinned. Um, and that was because if, uh, if Adam took from the uh, tree of life and lived forever while he was uh, fallen in his nature and sin was ruling over him, that would have been a terrible eternity. And God spared man from that by blocking the way to the tree of life. So Adam's sin brought sin into the world Adam's sin brought death into the world, and death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That's what verse 12 says. Here's the deal. Adam is kind of the representative of the entire race of mankind. And what happened to him spreads to us genetically and uh, through our soul whatever happened at did you know 
that uh, geneticists tell us that every male ever born carries a copy of the X chromosome, uh, or is it the Y chromosome? Maybe it's the Y chromosome, of their paternal forefather. And so geneticists will say that men carry an exact copy of the very first, I think it's the Y chromosome, the very first Y chromosome from the very first man. And, uh, and so that helps explain a little bit how every male in this world uh, became a sinner because we inherited, if you will, this tendency to sin. No one is born innocent, if you will. We are innocent because, you know, as little children, we are innocent because we don't understand right from wrong. We don't know it, really. But when we reach a certain age, we are held accountable for knowing what is right and what is wrong. So Adam brought sin upon the entire race, not just the men who, who get inherit a, a copy of a Y chromosome, but also women because they have a, a male as a father. Anyway, so in verse uh, 13, Paul says, yes, people sinned even before the law of God was given. And, and, and you might say, okay, what are we talking about now? Um, you see, if there is no law in place where people live, they can't be held accountable for breaking any law. And you might say, well, that makes sense. I mean, if there's no law there, then, then you know, if people do break a law, it's because they didn't know they were breaking a law. So, but God says, even though people were sinning without law in place, they still suffered the consequence that Adam suffered just because it was passed on to us through um, genetics and our own experience of being a human being. Uh, verse 14, still everyone died. And, and remember how God said, uh, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, all of us who were born thousands of years later, we didn't, we're not guilty of that sin that Adam committed, but we are still a recipients of that sin nature. And so it's in us to sin and it eventually manifests itself so that every person ends up sinning. So verse 14, still everyone died. So the, the consequence of Adam's sin continues to rule over, you know, Mankind, uh, and even during the time that God's law was not in place, from Adam to the time of Moses, those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did, they still died. And Paul goes on to say, now Adam is a symbol or a type. In other words, Adam is a representative of the human race. So you look at Adam and all of his descendants, which we are, and uh, we inherited the result of Adam's choices. 
Now, and by the way, I'm not going to take long to deal with this, but let me just quickly point out that whatever sins or whatever bad habits or, or things that have come through our family lines, say our grandpa or our, you know, our great grandpa or our grandpa or our dad, a lot of times those bad habits and sins will continue coming down through our family and affect us until a person is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then that family sin passing on can be broken. So I just want to throw that out there so that you understand that uh, not only did we all receive the, the bad effects of Adam's sin, but it comes through our own uh, genetic line. You know, there are weaknesses and failings in every family, and many of them were practiced by distant relatives, and they can come down and affect us and our children. So that's something that is worth uh, checking into with your pastor or in the scripture so that you can uh, stand against any spiritual uh, force that would try to cause a sinful tendency to continue in your family. And in fact, let's just pause for a moment. And Father, I pray that whatever sinful tendency, if there's any family curse, as many people call it, we break it in Jesus' name. We pray that this bad habit or sin will not continue in the family of these born-again people, that they would be free from it and that it would never affect them again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's continue on in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 5. So Adam is a type. Now we get into verse 15. And G Okay, forgive me. Adam is a type or a symbol of, of Jesus Christ. Remember I said that Adam is kind of the head of our entire race? Jesus Christ is called in the Bible the second Adam, which means that God, in a way, is starting over. You see, man was made good. We all know that. You look at Genesis and you see the account of creation. God said that everything was good. So Adam initially was good. There was no corruption in him. There was no sin in him. There was no fault in him. There was no failing in him. But when he sinned, God's curse came into play and it affected him and all of creation. Now, Jesus comes along as the second Adam, and he never failed. Jesus never sinned. And he died and was raised to life again, and so now he lives forevermore, and he never sinned. Therefore, when we come to Jesus, just as we had received all this junk from Adam's sin and the failing of mankind, now 
we are born again. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And now we don't have that uh, we don't have that sin nature ruling over us like it did before we knew the Lord Jesus. Because now the Holy Spirit is in us, the spirit of righteousness, and that sets us free from this cycle of sin and death because now we're under grace. Now we have the seed of God inside of us. Now we have the Holy Spirit that gives us power over our flesh. And now as we grow in the Lord, we will put these sinful deeds to death and we will become like Jesus and we'll leave that Adamic nature behind. That's some exciting news, folks. So anyway, Jesus is the second Adam. And verse 15, Paul says, there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death. And that's what it brought to the entire race. Uh, You know, the only thing certain, some people say, is death and taxes. Um, uh, But Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So you got Adam on the one hand that brought death and sin to the world of men. Now you've got Jesus who brought God's grace and God's forgiveness of our sin through his act of sacrifice. And when we receive him as our Savior, we get the benefits of everything that Jesus did, just like we we got the detriment of everything Adam did. So verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin, for Adam's sin led to condemnation. Adam's sin led to a certain condemnation for all men. In other words, we stand before God condemned to death. And not just one death. According to scripture, there are actually two deaths. And you can find that in the letter or the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a second death. The first death is a person's spirit separates from their body. The second death is a person's eternal soul is separated from God for all eternity. Those in Christ will never experience the second death. Hallelujah. Uh, So Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to us being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Please get this into your heart and please accept it. Your sinfulness cannot stop God's ability to save you. If you put faith in Jesus and ask him to save you from your sins, it does not matter what you've done. He will forgive you and give you new birth You will become a child of God. Your sins are taken away by Jesus. Verse 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. 
But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, we are slaves to sin. You say, well, no, I mean, I've got self-control. I don't, I don't do everything bad. You see, you have to understand something. God not only forgives us of sin, but he gives us power over sin. And it's, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he gives us the ability to say no to sin. Whereas before, yeah, we might be able to, you know, for a little while, stop a particular sin. But in Christ, we can put that thing to death. And so uh, keep that in mind that we can triumph over the sin in our life by just continuing to walk with God, continue to put to death those sinful habits, and, uh, and, and one day, will be taken to be with the Lord, of course, and it'll never be an issue after that. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Jesus did, he undid what Adam did. If you can understand that, Christ undid what Adam did to our race. Now you say, well, does everyone have this? Let me put it this way. Everyone can have this, but not everyone has it. You see, it still has to be accepted by faith. That's, you know, that's the thing about a gift. God doesn't force a gift on anyone. He tells us about it. He, he convinces us through his word and his spirit. And if people receive it by faith, they believe and they accept it and they, they surrender their lives to Christ. They are born of the spirit and they receive this gift and all of these benefits of Christ's life come into their lives. But if they refuse to believe, if they reject him, even though he comes to them many times in their lives, which he does for people, then they will suffer the consequence, which sadly is eternal death and torment. God doesn't want that. But if, if a person is bound and determined to live life that way, then that is unfortunately how they'll live eternity. Verse 20, God's law was given. See, God came along through Moses and gave his law to man. But it's different than a lot of people think. See, a lot of people, myself included, believed that God gave us Ten Commandments so we could live right. And while it does help us restrain uh, wickedness in our nation and in our world and in our lives, to have the Ten Commandments so at least we know we kind of have a moral compass, that's not really the reason God gave his Ten Commandments and his laws. He gave his Ten Commandments so that men could see how sinful they were 
and we see how sinful we really are when we try to keep them every day and every day and every day and every day, eventually we're going to blow it. And once we do, the Bible says we're guilty of breaking all those laws. Because with God, it's perfection or nothing. And you say, well, that's not right. I mean, God knows that we're faulty people. Why can't he just give us grace? Well, he did give us grace through Jesus Christ. And you can have that by receiving Christ. But there are people who who want God to, to just cut them loose and let them live the way they want and still give them grace. That's not God's gift. They're not accepting God's gift. They're saying, God, leave me alone, but then don't hold me accountable when I get to the end of my life. That's not, that's not the, pot, the pot, which we are the clay that the potter used to make into vessels. The, the clay pot has no right to say to the one that shaped it, why'd you make me this way? Because the, the creator is the one who has the authority. The creator is the one who has the right to make what he wants out of the clay. And so, verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, now you'll see God's grace. As people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became even more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. My friend, God has done everything we need to be saved. He has given us, the Bible says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So I challenge you, my friend, open your heart, receive Jesus as your Savior, and, uh, and find the grace that you have been craving. God bless you, and I look forward to our next time together. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within His presence I speak Jesus.